This is episode number 26 with the super inspiring keynote speaker and business owner, Molly Fletcher. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. Today, I'm going to ask you, get out a sheet of paper, get out a pen or a pencil, and take some notes. Today's podcast is jam-packed. It's jam-filled with awesome strategies and awesome inspiration that you'll be able to use moving forward in order to be disciplined with yourself and take action. Molly Fletcher was the sports agent for John Smoltz, Tom Izzo, Doc Rivers, Ernie Johnson Jr., Aaron Andrews, so many amazing athletes, coaches, broadcasters that were the most successful people in the business that they were in. She was able to connect all of these people who came from different industries and realize that there was something in common about all of them. Realize that their mindsets were the same. Realize that some of the practices that they did were the same. And she talks a lot about unleashing your potential and being fearless. And she gives you guys so many different tips and strategies in order to do those things and be those things moving forward in your life. Molly talks about her different steps in order to unleashing your potential. Number one is belief. She talks about how golfers stand over putts to win millions of dollars. How do they believe that they're actually gonna put it in the cup and they don't just hope that it's going to happen? How does John Smoltz, one of the best pitchers of all time, going into the Hall of Fame as a starter and as a closer, believe that he can make the transition from starter to closer? So much great information in this episode, guys. It's jam-packed. Like I said, get out a sheet of paper, get out a pencil or a pen. You're going to want to take some notes. I'm super stoked for you guys to listen to this one. In this episode, you're going to hear about discipline. You're going to hear about taking action. You're going to hear about defining what success and failure looks like for you. So on that same matter, do you have goals or do you know what success looks like in terms of your own health, in terms of your own fitness or your nutrition routine? If not, I'm here for you guys. I have my own unique one-on-one online personal training platform where I give people the tools to be able to go into the gym and optimize their time to be able to get the results that they actually want to get. I see so many people aimlessly walking around the gym, not really sure what they want to do next. And by doing that, they waste time. They waste energy. But I give you the tools, the exact plan that you need to do when you get in there. So you know right when you go in, you know what you're doing, how long you're doing it for, and you'll leave feeling so accomplished and so motivated towards continuing to your goals. But for now, it's time. It's time to work on being our best self today with the one, the only, Molly Fletcher. All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Best You Podcast. I am absolutely fired up today to have the super inspiring Molly Fletcher with me. Uh, I've got a Skype interview going here. Uh, Molly, I kind of want to, well, I want to introduce you first, get right into kind of your background. You know, you represented... Tom Izzo, Ernie Johnson Jr., Matt Kuchar, Doc Rivers, John Smoltz, Aaron Andrews, Billy Donovan, all these people um, from the best sports um, players in the world, from best coaches, broadcasters, all this great stuff. So you've been surrounded by some amazing people. You're the author of four books. Um, You're a motivational keynote speaker now. And most importantly, maybe you're a mother. Um, So all these great things about you. So I'm really excited to learn from you and kind of dive into all that good stuff. But really how I want to start is you know, in researching you, I see over and over again about your story from moving down to Atlanta after graduating from Michigan State and the apartment stuff. So if you don't know the story, go ahead and YouTube, listen to it. It's freaking awesome. But I want to kind of get into Molly Fletcher when you started off in the kind of the sports industry, like your first job, you know, you talk a lot about being fearless. Like what does that 21 to 22 year old Molly Fletcher look like? What does she think like going into this sports industry? Well, it's a pleasure to be on with you, and uh, it's fun to be connected, and I love the work that you do, um, so thanks for thinking of me. Um, you know, I, when I was 21, I my first job, I answered the phones at Super Bowl 28, which had come to Atlanta, of course, and I was networked my way kind of into an opportunity there, but, you know, I graduated from college, and I drive down to Atlanta, and my first job is a receptionist at the Super Bowl host committee, right? So, of course, I'm sure my parents were thinking, what did we pay for? Um, you know, and so I, but what was a fascinating about that opportunity was I had a boss who was a nightmare and she would leave people on hold for just, you know, way too long. And she would just keep them on hold and keep them on hold. And, and it was sort of this circus act. And, and, uh, finally though, people would come into the office to meet with the executive director who was not my direct report. We were a small office, five or six people, and they would see this. But when they were um, waiting for her, because she would leave them waiting when when they were in the office, too, 
I had an opportunity to connect with all these incredible leaders in Atlanta who were sponsors of the Super Bowl. So, you know, folks from Coke and Bell South at the time and Home Depot and all these incredible brands. And I built a relationship with those guys. And, and I had a goal when I was young, which was how do I get people to like and respect me enough to want to hire me or help me? And if I can ask for advice, I might get a job. And if I ask for a job, I might just get advice. And so my goal while they were all waiting for her was to do that. And so I networked with several of these wonderful people and they were kind enough to help me along the way. And then I found myself in the office of a small agency in Atlanta. We had about four clients, um, a baseball player and a couple NBA coaches. And he brought me in to do marketing deals for the athletes and coaches that we worked with and for the athlete and coach that we worked with. And, you know, my role was to take them. I was driving Lenny Wilkins around, who was the head coach of the dream team at the time for the Olympics in Atlanta. I was driving Lenny around all his appearances around the Olympics and, you know, trying to take uh, appearances and endorsement deals to other guys. And after a couple kind of after the Olympics ended, I looked at the CEO uh, of the agency and I said, golly, you know, let, like, what is our strategy to grow and, and get more clients? I mean, what is our plan there? And he said, well, referrals. I mean, we have, you know, Lenny Wilkins referred Mike Fratello and Fratello referred Chuck Dale. And he's naming all these people that, that are, you know, the grandparents age of the listeners on your show. <laughs> and so he names, and I said, well, gosh, what if we got more aggressive? You know, what if we went after baseball players, Georgia tech puts out a lot of incredible players, Georgia. What if we started with baseball and, and started recruiting them? And, and so long story short, he blessed that business plan that I created for us to go after baseball, to start there and get more aggressive. And I'd go down to the fence at Georgia Tech and lean on that fence. And, and you know, um, I did everything but pack a chew and bubble gum. And no, I'm just kidding. I didn't do any of those things. <laughs> but I signed a couple guys that year and, and it just continued to evolve from there. So I won't bore your listeners with more of that. But that was, but the mindset to your question was, you know, it's okay to fail. And I think that's the biggest thing I'd want your listeners to know is that I didn't sign every guy I went after. I didn't get every meeting I asked for. But that's okay. That's part of the journey. And if you get enough and, and you can build connection and respect and, and, and outwork other people and be authentic in the way that you try to connect with the people that you want to either work for or with, usually good things will happen right. um, on, that, on that journey. Okay. So you're this 22-year-old girl in this small agency that's got a few people that you guys represent. What do you think you get this confidence to all of a sudden be like, here's this new business plan that we should do. These are the people that we should go after. Like, how do you have that belief in yourself? Have you just always kind of been this go-getter, have this get-after-it mentality? Or where does that come from? And where do you get the confidence to bring this business opportunity to your agency? Well, I, I, you know, I would have to say, I mean, you're kind to say that. I, I think, you know, my parents um, certainly instilled in my brothers and I to, to ask for what you want and go for it. Um, tennis, you know, as a junior tennis player and then playing in college taught me, um, how to lean in, how to take feedback, how to go for it. Right. And, and so I think all those little moments along the way bubble up into an opportunity to lean into bigger moments. Um, but I never really worried about, no, I never really worried much about failure and, 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 and that's the biggest thing I would encourage young people to do is to, to know that. And I think sports taught me that is that failure and, and, and missing and making mistakes and getting feedback along the way is part of the journey to getting better. Mm-hmm. And the more that we can lean into those moments and recognize that it's not the end, it's the beginning, you know, no is, is just a form of feedback as far as I'm concerned. And, you know, no, isn't no, it's just feedback. Right. I think a lot of people are scared of failure because they're they're afraid where it's going to like set them back but i think that a lot of people think like fail and then there's like an ending point there's like some kind of wall right there where it's like no you can keep going actually like a, a certain failure doesn't just stop you in your tracks right you can kind of keep moving forward and that's like you said that's kind of what sports teaches you to an extent it's like you lose a game you fail one time like you strike out there's going to be another opportunity it's fine like figure out what you can learn from it take away and bring that to your next opportunity. And I think that learning that from sports and moving forward and, t- and taking action on that is really important. I think a lot of people don't do that because they're scared that they can't make another choice. 
Well, and I, and I, no question. I mean, I watched some of the best athletes in the world fail and, and they learned so much from those moments. And I personally have failed a ton and I've learned so much from those moments, sometimes more when we fail than when we've succeeded. But the key is to recover quickly inside of those moments when things like that happen and we do have hiccups and, and, you know, whether um, we don't get a job that we really wanted or whether we don't get a raise or a promotion that we really wanted, that's okay. Lean into that and recover fast. And, you know, I watched golfers miss putts uh, to make a million bucks. And, but you know what they were doing the next day, they were standing on the putting green, getting it right, right away. They recovered fast, you know, great coaches lose games that they should have won, but they lean into it and they recover fast. And that to me is one of the keys to failure is, is know that now we've got to send ourselves the right messages, learn from those moments and recover. Right. And I'm glad you said that because I think conversations that I have with people my age in terms of like they're in a job that they don't really necessarily want to do, they kind of like have an idea of what they might want to go on, what they want to go do, but they're afraid they're going to choose the wrong thing. And then they're, then it's like over. It's like realize if you choose the wrong thing, you can just swerve away from that and choose something else. I think a lot of people think there's just like they don't know what is on the other side of it. So they're afraid to take that leap of faith. And I remember, uh, you know, you've brought up in your talks plenty of times when you asked Butch Harmon, one of the best uh, golf instructors of all time, what's the difference between those top people, those guys that are winning tournaments, uh, numbers one through 10, and then everybody else. And that's what you said. They failed. That's what he said. They failed fast. They responded to adversity quicker than any than anybody else does. You know, they bogey a hole and then they birdie that next one. But what do you think is kind of the key to being able to respond quickly? Like, how do we not let things unravel and how do we fail and then respond and learn quickly from that? You know, what, what I think there's a couple of things. Number one, I think you've got to know why you're doing what you're doing in the first place. And there's got, it's got to be anchored in a pretty clear purpose because you've got to want whatever it is you're going for bad enough that the failure will be fine, that you will lean into it anyway. I mean, there, there are lots of baseball players that I watch climb on buses and travel across the country, making $10,000 a year in the minor leagues, but they knew where they were going and they wanted it badly. So they, so they, so they went for it. Um, so I think you've got to go to your purpose when you recover so that you um, send yourself the messages of why it's worth the work, why it's worth the work to recover. And and then I think, you know, I mean, I, I used to, when my athletes would struggle, I'd put a little video together of just one unbelievable moment after another with them, you know, hitting a bomb opposite field, right? Routing the bases, guys coming in from the dugout, you know. All those moments, we have to remind ourselves too, I think, as young people or business leaders, and we can remind ourselves through notes that we've gotten from people, through emails that we've gotten, through our own personal mission statements that allow us to relock in. And so I think, you, number one, you've got to recognize it, that, that, okay, I missed, I missed. And then be curious enough with yourself, be vulnerable enough with yourself to learn from it. And, and then take action quickly on what you need to do differently moving forward so that you can take what you learned in that mistake and, and allow it to make you a little bit better version of that moment the next time. And to recognize that, um, you know, failure is feedback and it's great feedback. And if we don't fail, in my opinion, we're probably not leaning hard enough. We're probably not pushing ourselves hard enough. Mm -hmm. And I, I think a lot of times with failure, you know, I think it's almost oversaid now that I feel like that you learn from your failures. People are like, yeah, 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 whatever. Like, I don't want to fail. But it's actually about not just like failing and then think you're going to learn and then they keep going. You actually have to like take time to sit down, evaluate like what exactly happened here? What, why exactly did this go wrong? And then how can I ensure that I improve on this or make it a little better, a little bit better and that it doesn't happen another time? And I think the same way about successes and wins. I think a lot of people don't evaluate why they won, why they were successful. But if they did, they could be like, oh, this is actually why we did such a good job. Like if it's a if it's a team like the Patriots that win over and over and over again, they don't learn from failure because they never fail. They just win, win, win. But they learn from it and they realize what worked. And then they try to implement a same thing or build on that the next year. Yeah. So I think evaluating no both of those is really a key part of it. Yeah. So for your listeners, I mean, if they, uh, you know, it's those, it's, it's if you don't get the promotion, 
and your boss walks into your office and, and says that you didn't get it or whatever it might be, have the courage to walk into them in a way that's very respectful and kind and authentic and say, hey, can I just ask you a question? You know, what could I have done differently? What was the gap here? Help me with that. Or, or, or you don't get a job that you interviewed for. Or, you know, have the courage to be curious about why. And then take that information. I think sometimes when we miss or when it doesn't work or we don't get something that we thought we should or that we could have, we don't go a little bit deeper in that moment so that we can learn from it. If, if you know, I played tennis in college and, you know, when, when I would lose matches, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to get the film and watch it and break it down and understand what was my gap. And if I play her again, what would I do differently? That's a big difference between just going, man, I lost that felt awful. And just, you know, what did you learn from it? Roll that all up, practice it so that you can, not make the same mistake again. Right. That kind of was leading right into the next question I was going to ask is you use the word discover and that's, you use that word a lot, discover the gaps that you have within yourself and the gaps that are in other people's lives that you could possibly fill. Like what kind of questions, I think you might've just touched on a little bit, but what kind of questions do we ask other people to determine what gaps we can fill in their lives? And what kind of questions do we ask ourselves on how we discover our own gaps and how we fill those? Gosh, I mean, you know, I, I think you can start with great questions because you've gotten in their head and heart before you walked in the room. So when I was recruiting athletes, I always wanted to get in their world in a big way before I had that meeting. You know, um, what's the pitching rotation look like if it's a pitcher? You know, uh, what are the pitches that they throw? Um, what's their schedule look like moving forward? What do they like to do on their off days? Are they married? What's going on in that sort of situation? Who is it? What's she like? I mean, the more that you can get inside of the heads and the hearts of the people that you want to connect with, the more then you can ask questions based on what you think they're probably worried about. So if I'm sitting with a baseball player and, and I'm trying to discover gaps in his life, there's so many things I could ask. I mean, I could say, Hey man, look, you know, next week you have an off day in San Diego based on the pitching rotation. I don't think you're throwing in San Diego. I know you travel with your clubs because the manager lets you. Is there a golf course you've never played in San Diego that you want to get on? And, 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 and now you're closing a gap in his world, adding value, showing him in just that moment that I've done my research and I know what's going on in your world. I care. I don't make any money on, a, on that situation, but I want to make your world better and I want to help you. Those kinds of things, specific to baseball or not, or specific to, a, to, to if it was a golfer or not, those are the kinds of things that drive connection. That, that story you mentioned early on about my apartment complex, you know, I mean, for me, what, what, what is pretty obvious is somebody that, that runs the leasing inside of an apartment complex wants to have a high occupancy. Mm -hmm. So anything that they can do to fill that apartment up makes their monthly calls with their managers a lot easier right? That's, that's their gap. That's what they're trying to solve for. So if I can help her with that by adding value in a way that's different than even sometimes things that they've even thought about themselves, that to me is where it gets really powerful. And your listeners can sort of watch that story, but it's about preparation. It's about curiosity. It's about authenticity. And it's about having the courage to, um, you know, discover those gaps and then, and then, ask some questions that help them see I'm in your world um, and I care. And, you know, I mean, Kevin Durant is a, one of the best, you know, NBA guys out there. And, and, you know, Durant hired an analytics kid of his own, a guy that was really smart that he wanted to come in and, 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 and break down some of what Kevin believed were his own gaps in his game, sort of separate apart from, from obviously all the support that the team has so even the best players in the world, I see consistently put people around them, the best ones do, that will tell them the truth and will help them see their own gaps so that they can get better. Yeah, I really, my big takeaways from that is just be as curious as possible in order to connect authentically with the other person. 100%. Well said. Dive, in, dive into their lives. Don't, don't think that it has to be, and this is actually one of the last videos I just <laughs> recently watching you is be relational and not transactional. Like be, find a way to connect with them on a deeper level before you try to get anything out of them. Like build, yeah. build, build. That's the only way you're going to be able to 
get down into the root of the issue or the due to the root of the gap that they actually have within themselves. So I think that's really important. And I can already discover when I have phone calls with certain clients that I have that I'm working on with workouts and training that there are times when I don't ask them tough questions that I probably should be in building a deeper, more authentic connection with them. Um, so I think that's awesome. Um, that's the third one. Uh, third step, you know, I'm going down the line a little bit here, uh, is discipline, right? And I, cause I think that so many times that's what, that's the, that's one of the last things that people lack. People hear what they should do. They're inspired, all this good stuff. They go to, they go to bed. Oh, I'm so motivated. And then they wake up and then don't take action. Like so many people have ideas, have like lights come the on in their head. Yeah. yeah. But, but that discipline to actually take action is that last thing that can be lacking for a lot of people. So what are, for you personally, maybe some things, some strategies that you do to be disciplined on a day-in and day-out basis, or maybe that you coach people to to be like or to do in order to stay disciplined? Yeah, I mean, I think you've got you've got to get clear on where you want to go, and, and you, you've got to understand what success looks like. So, so I have annual goals, I have three- to five-year goals, and then I have quarterly goals. I probably didn't say that in the right order, but... And so those quarterly goals um, create a bit of a process that I can lean into on a daily basis. Um, you know, and you hear Nick Saban and, and lots of great coaches talk about the process. And so if you create clarity on, on, on what success looks like for you in three years or five years or at the end of a quarter, then you, then you create a process to execute against that. Everything from the way you start your day to the way you end your day to the behaviors throughout the day that will lead you toward that outcome that you want and, and trust the process. If you get clear on where, where you want to be and you create a process to execute against that, trust it, trust that journey, trust that process and, and, and create systems to ensure that it's successful. There's a lot of people that create goals, but if you don't have, I mean, they've got to be some that you can see and you can touch and you can feel and they're, they're reachable. Because that helps you feel little moments of success along the way. Um, so it, to me, that that that's sort of the most important component, I think, is that level of clarity and intentionality, systems, and, and, and trusting the process that you create and doing the work to get yourself there. No, I like that a lot. So like the setting the intention part, I think, is really big, like setting actual goals. I think a lot of people talk about setting goals, but being able to set the process along with them is such a big part. And I think a lot of us don't do that, either don't set a goal or don't set a process because when we set a process and set that, you know, we know what success looks like. We also know what failure looks like. So it's almost like we don't make it because we are scared that what are we going to think of ourselves if we fail? So I think having the courage to be able to set a process Know when you fail and know when you succeed is huge because, like you said, success, you got to be able to see your success along the way because that's one of the biggest motivators in order to keep moving towards that particular goal and to continue to trust the process, the longer process that it's going to take to actually reach whatever it is you're trying to reach. Well, yeah, and Billy Horschel told me that one of the things he learned a lot of things from Tiger Woods, but one of the things he learned from Tiger as a golfer was that, you know, we hear people all the time talk about visualizing your success and sort of setting, you know, all those things. But, but, what 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 Tiger told Billy is, you know what? Also, take a minute and visualize moments when you might fail. Visualize yourself not getting out of the trap like you want. Visualize yourself, you know, um, you know, missing a key putt. Visualize those moments, but then visualize yourself recovering. Visualize the recovery inside of those failures too. Not just, you know, a lot of times we hear people talk about visualizing just the great moments. Mm-hmm. Well, they're not all going to be great, and that's okay. Visualize the tough ones too. And then most importantly, visualize yourself recovering from those tough moments. I really like that because I think if you make it more tangibly visible or at least in your head to yourself, you realize that the worst case scenario or that failure might not be quite as bad as you think it might be because you see how you might be able to respond. Yeah. You know, one of the things I talk about inside of discipline too is is energy. I, I think we live in a world where People are worried a lot about where they put their time and they spend a lot of time in their calendars and accepting meetings and conference calls and all those things that are sort of time-based. I think it's also really important to say, you know, who do you give your energy to? Who deserves your energy? 
And, you know, are you protecting the things that give you energy? So for me, I have systems in place to kind of your question about discipline where the things that give me energy, working out, spending time with my family, um, spending time with my girls, my husband, I protect that time in my calendar tactically. Like, so in addition to thinking about who gets our energy and who doesn't, I think we've also got to go out to the process point and protect those moments in our life and our calendar. I think there is such a key correlation between energy and time. And I think the world spends a lot of time thinking about time. I think we got to spend a lot of time and energy thinking about who do we, who do we give our energy to and how most importantly do we show up for the people in our lives that matter most? You know, it's, it's not just, in my opinion, good enough to just show up. It's about how you show up. And, and are you ready to fully show up and to deliver value to the people that matter most to you? It breaks my heart all the time when I see business leaders or business people, you know, they wake up and they're a little bit distracted in the morning with their kids. And then they get out the door and they go to the office all day and they grind it and, they, and then they're just fried. And they come home to the people in their life that matter most and they don't have any energy left for them. So I think it's incredibly important to create systems and be intentional about saving the energy for the people that matter most. Yeah. Gosh, I have so many thoughts going through my head. So one, I really like how you said that sometimes it's not just enough to show up because there, there's a, a phrase that I like to use is show up and show out because I think a lot of people just think like walking through the door is going to be like all I need to do today or going to the gym, just like stepping foot in there is going to be enough. It's like, it's not going to do anything unless you're actually like working hard or trying to make the most out of whatever situation that you're going into. And then the other thing I got was a lot of people ask, how do you stay motivated or how do you get motivated? Like I can't find my inner motivation. It's like, okay, if you can't be motivated to become the best version of yourself for you, at least try to figure out the motivation to be the best version of yourself for your loved ones, for your friends, for your families, and try to always be the best version of you for them like even if you're that selfless and you can't find the inner motivation within you. Um, so I think that's key. There was one other thing that was going through my head um, that you said, Oh, because for energy, how I'm going to apply it in my life, protecting your energy. Sometimes I find myself overworking, doing like always trying to do, 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 and not trying to do some of the things that I truly enjoy. Like I haven't watched a golf tournament this yet this year and I love golf. And I'm like, how, why am I not paying attention to this? Um, and I realize like, that's how I'm going to be able to justify now to myself to give myself a little relaxation to the things that I love because yeah. that's going to give me energy moving forward towards doing these other sorts of things. Um, so that was a, a key takeaway for me personally. Right. So Nick, like go, go identify, uh, you know, w- what it looks like for you in the next three months from a golf perspective. What, what do you want to see? What do you want to watch? Are there some coming near you that you could go to? Go into your calendar and protect that. Protect yeah. that time because then you'll be intentional about making sure that you don't get something scheduled over top of that. And you can fill yourself up a little bit with, with something that you love. Mm. I like that. I just wrote it down. <laughs> um, so of these of these steps, you know, we've talked about belief, discovery, discipline, and execution is the fourth one. Of these four, I want to know which one do you – currently struggle with the most or which one is the toughest to master for you the most? Um, boy, I mean, you know, I'm really clear and believe in what I do and why I do it. So I'm, I'm good there. I haven't ever been asked this question actually. Um, you know, the discovery component is, is something that I, I feel grateful that I think, um, you know, I've got a little bit of a natural gift in. I'm, I'm really naturally curious about other people. I love to, to learn about other people and, and I, and I love, I'm not afraid to have gaps in my own self pointed out. I think that's a great thing. And I, it's how I learn and grow. I, I would say inside of um, discipline is being present is something that I talk a lot about, which to me, being present is really anchored in intentionality, which in turn is a little bit of discipline. And so that, that one's tough. I mean, I, I used to think that multitasking was awesome. And I could just rock it. I could do twice as many things. I could do them faster. I could do it all at the same time. And, and, and then I learned 
through, uh, you know, a lot of conversations with some pretty smart people that multitasking is actually really, really not a good thing to do. And, and we even have, you know, and I have an Apple iPad and, and, and they make it so easy for you to multitask. But it, it, what it does is it, it, number one, it drains your energy way, way faster, number one. And number two, you're not really giving fully to the people that you're trying to connect with in that moment. And so being present is something that I'm always working on because I'm notorious for trying to do two things at the same time, three things at the same time. And what I have finally convinced myself of, I mean, I'm like a recovering addict with regards to multitasking, but I've learned that it is, it is absolutely unhealthy on so many levels. I don't serve the people that matter most well when I do it. I make mistakes. People have to come behind me and fix them. I'm not fully present for somebody that I'm trying to connect with. I mean, there's just a laundry list. I drain my energy quickly. So that one's the one that's the hardest for me that I work on every day. It's the screensaver on my phone. Be present. Right. It's on my computer screen. Be present. So to me, anything that we struggle with in our lives, you know, we, we have to have that thing right in front of us every day, all day, because the number one reason people don't achieve their goals is a lack of visibility. They just don't look at them enough. If we have, I have my goals pinned up in my office. I see them all day, every day. And, and those are that, that helps me stay centered and, and, and intentional. So if it's a gap, I keep that center so that I can be intentional about it too. Right. It keeps you focused. I mean, it keeps you focused on the process and the things that you actually need to move um, forward to. And I, th- I had a lot, of, I've had a number of experiences where I've kind of realized the like, don't multitask thing. I mean, I still always catch myself trying to do it all the time, but yeah. simply like reading a book in the morning and trying to eat breakfast at the same time, I realized that like, I couldn't do it because I always like taking notes when I read and like when I have my bowl of oatmeal at the same time when I'm trying to read, it's like I, I can't, can't take notes to the same um, at the same level of effectiveness. No, no. And then the same thing with like my task list or to do list that I have. It's like sometimes I'm like trying to do both of them at once. It's like, hang on, stop, commit to one of them, then you can move on to the next one. Um, so I'm, it's definitely something I think constant reminders are huge and realizing ways to practice being present are huge. Like for me doing just having a podcast helps me so much to practice being present, to just zone in on whoever I'm talking to at that particular point in time. I'll tell you, try, try doing this uh, at some point or your listeners can uh, try writing down directions to a place you go all the time. So for you, it might be the gym, right? Like write down directions to the gym and say, no, I'm sorry. Let me do it this way. Say your ABC, write your ABCs in front of you on a note card, write A, B, C, D, and simultaneously verbalize your directions to a friend to your gym. Try to do them at the exact same time. That was what convinced me that I could multi, you can't do it. I got to like D and I was done. Right. So it's a powerful little exercise where you go, oh my God. I mean, that, that seems pretty remedial, right? To give somebody directions to someplace you go every day, a couple times a day. And to say your ABCs, like I could do that at the same time, no problem. I don't know if I'm not smart enough, but <laughs> no, no, I think that's I think that's really funny and something I might try. Um, so I'm I'm interested going kind of back to a little bit to your career. Was there ever a turning point? Was there ever a particular experience, a particular learning moment, a particular maybe just a role model that like got you to the point where? Like, what's the biggest impact that led you to where you are today? I guess is kind of the where the question is leading. Like, was there a particular moment, experience that a light bulb went off that was like, "Oh my gosh, I want to do this. This is what I want to communicate to other people," or a particular role model that sparked that in you? I mean, you mean that that's taken me to where I am now and what I'm doing now? Yeah. Like, is there a particular like maybe one lesson that somebody taught you that changed your whole mindset towards where you are now? I guess. You know, there were so many little moments and, um, you know, I talk about that in the fearless at work book around little moments, create big outcomes. And th- there was so many moments with Tom Izzo, you know, with John Smoltz, with Doc Rivers, with, with Kuchar. And, and I used, and what I began to see is that these guys, generally speaking, or gals have a lot of the same traits, right? They're, they're all that, yes, they do different things. Yes. They make a different kind of impact on the world, but their behaviors, their discipline, their techniques, their systems, their processes, their mindsets, their ability to recover, all those things are very similar. And so after just 
decades inside of that space, I went, there is a common denominator between peak performers. And I'm seeing it in, in various disciplines. I had, you know, I was blessed enough to meet a lot of executives, obviously, along that journey. And so the aha moment was they're different, but they're the same. And the behaviors are a common thread. And the way that they think and behave and recover and execute is something that can be transferred to business people. And that's when the light bulb went off for me personally, when I really was able to even get more tightly aligned with my mission in life, which is to lead, inspire, and connect with courage and optimism to others. And it was, it, it became broader for me. I wanted to do it in a way that was not just athletes and coaches, but business people and, and more people um, through these experiences that I feel so fortunate to have been able to have right. with some incredible, incredible, you know, John Smoltz is an incredible athlete. He's an unbelievable pitcher, but he's an even better guy. Tom Izzo is an incredible basketball coach, but he's a better guy. Ernie Johnson's great on TV. He's in between Kenny and Charles. I mean, the guy's a magician in there, yeah. but he's a better guy. You know, right. Kuchar, an amazing golfer, but he's a better human being. And, and that was what mattered to me was, yes, they were good at what they did, but they were great people. And so that, that was my favorite part was that yeah. I cared about them truly and, um, was connected to them in a, in a way much deeper than whatever it was that they did. Right. No, but I think that's, I think that's a big takeaway that, you know, the, there wasn't like this aha external moment that you got. It was more like a kind of an awareness within yourself of the thing of the people that you were around. They, obviously they were people that you're around. So it was external on that and that stance. But a lot of, I think a lot of people look for sparks or motivation from videos, from books, from external things, but it takes like being aware and looking within yourself about your own experiences and learning from that. So I think that's kind of like the biggest thing that I, that I realize. It's not just like you have to look for some other aha moment somewhere else. Well, and if you're, if you're always curious, Nick, if you're truly always curious, then there's mentors all around all of us every day, all day. I mean, it can be at the grocery store when you're checking out, right? I mean, it, it, it can be, it's everywhere. It's not just John Smoltz and Tom Izzo and people like that. It's everywhere. And so that's why I'm such a big fan of curiosity and having the courage to, to truly be curious, both with the people around us or that we want to connect with and, and how they execute and behave and recover and prepare and all that, but also inside of ourselves. So, you know, uh, the one, the, if, so, if somebody said to me, what is the one thing that the best do consistently what what is the one thing that you know the best athletes and coaches but also most importantly for your listeners who may or may not be professional athletes um is is they're always learning they're always trying to get a little bit better they're always curious and and you're you're that way which is awesome um but i've seen that with great executives and great leaders they're always just just trying to pivot trying to get better trying to make it work the things that John Smoltz had to do as a pitcher when he was pitching to, to, to navigate injuries and nagging issues from hangnails to elbows to bone spurs to shoulders, he always had to get curious about how can I put this ball on a nickel over the plate going 96 miles an hour, right? And I can't really hold the ball right because I've got a hangnail in my thumb and I can't get the hold up. He, he was always trying to learn different ways to do what he did. Right. And I think... For me, so that is the reason why the motivation and inspiration behind starting the podcast. I read this quote from Ralph Waldo Emerson that was, every man is in some way my superior and in that I can learn of him. And I think like that reading that quote was just like, it was an aha moment for me. And I honestly don't know if I was ever truly curious bef before then. And I don't know if I'm ne necessarily a naturally curious person. But through like intentionally trying to practice it, I find myself becoming more and more curious through things like this. And now more it spreads into more of an everyday life sort of a thing as well. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, so one question I want to ask is I want to go a little bit into the motherhood personal life. So you got three teenage daughters, right? I do. They're my reason. <laughs> very good. Very good. Um, I'm interested. What do you think is the number one thing that you've learned about yourself? since becoming a mother? You know, I, I would say, and I would and say I would to any women listening, you, you can do both. Um, you know, it, it, that 
that I believe a lot of times women get to a point where they worry about, can I have a career and can I raise great kids and can I do it right now? I can't put a fork in it and say my kids are great, but they're tracking nicely. Right. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, I think what I learned that I didn't spend a lot of time thinking about. And, and when I, when I had our girls, we had three kids in 12 months, we had one and then we had twins 12 months later, which was a little bit insane, but now it's incredible, right? They're 16, 15 and 15 now. But I learned that, that I could do both. Well, I needed to have the discipline to say no to things. I needed to get really clear on what success looked like as a wife, as a mother, and as a now, you know, leader of a company, I needed to know what, what boundaries I needed to create and how to stay disciplined and saying yes and no, because to me, they matter most. And so what that means is again, back to process, I had to get really clear on, for example, now I speak a lot and I got clear on, I can do two keynotes a week, but anything more than that, I feel too disconnected as a wife and a mother. So we have systems in place to bookend that so that I'll only sit at two a week and, and I protect my calendar that way, but that didn't come without gaps along the way, right? Like there was times when I would have three back-to-back weeks with three. And that was what kind of made me sort of collapse and say, God, this is too much. I feel disconnected. I'm missing really important conversations with my girls and Fred and, and I, I don't want this. And so then we created some systems to protect it. So to me, balance we talk about a lot in this world is just really a byproduct of getting clear on what matters most to you and then having the discipline to say yes and no so that you can show up and live a life that's consistent with, with what matters most and have the discipline to, to do that. So, um, and, and I think too, I became better as an agent and I think I've become better as a leader, as a mother and as a wife. And it doesn't mean that if you don't have children, you're not going to be great. You know, it doesn't mean that at all. But for me personally, it gave me tremendous perspective. When I was an agent, I was young and I thought, I thought the whole world revolved around sports. I just thought there was absolutely nothing else happening in the world besides sports. And, you know, you have children and that, that's crazy love. And, and it gives you a lot of perspective, which is healthy. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's, um, I think, you know, the, like you said, balance has talked a lot about today, but I think it can be used in a few ways. Like, right, you do all these different things, and, and in that sense, it's balanced. But when you do each thing, you're fully committed and you try to be as fully present as possible to that particular thing so that you're 100%, you have your 100% energy and can devote your time um, to those particular things. But I want to get right into the last couple of questions. So, the last two questions are always the same um, for every single person. So, for this one, I want to ask, I always throw out the age number, actually, I guess, to start. So how old are you currently? 47. 47. Okay. You ask me how much I weigh? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, I'm not good. No. <laughs> um, uh, so in 10 years down the road, you're going to be 57, right? Inevitably. Um, so what I like to ask people is 10 years down the road, what does 57-year-old Molly Fletcher look like? What have you accomplished? What have you done? And what, and what are you currently doing? Oh, that's like such a good question. Uh, well, uh, at 57, my husband will be 57. We're the same age. Um, and I hope he is fitter, healthier. (laughs) No, I'm trying to get him in better shape. Um, And then, uh, you know, my girls will be 26 and 25. So I told him I won't pay for weddings until they're 30. Okay. So hopefully they will be in thriving careers, uh, contributing to the world in an awesome way. Um, and for me, I would imagine, you know, now I speak about 60 days a year. I'll I'll dial that back a little bit to maybe 40, 30 ish. Um, and I'll have a pretty, pretty healthy and vibrant, thriving training company where we're training people on negotiation energy. Um, and typically our training spins off of a book that I've written. And so, um, we'll have a thriving training company, hopefully training, hundreds of thousands of people a year all over the world. That would be my vision. And that's something that you're currently working on right now. Let's talk about the game changer uh, training workshops that you're currently uh, holding and and going through. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So we, we deliver training um, to organizations and then we have public workshops too um, on negotiation on, on, you know, really our promise is simple. It's 
how do you, how do you increase and, and strengthen the relationship um, inside of a negotiation? How do you s- close deals faster? And how do you improve the quality of the deals? And, and, if, and if we can put people in a room and, and teach them how to do, do those three things, if they can increase and enhance the re- and improve the relationship, speed to close increases and the quality of the deal increases. That's pretty awesome. So this year we'll train probably three to 5,000 people, um, you know, and I hope we continue to double that. So, and who do those people usually consist of? Businesses or who exactly is your target market for those workshops? Corporations primarily, um, corporations all over the world, large Fortune 500 companies typically, they'll bring us in to train three or 400 people. Um, But we do it, we put 16 to 30 people in a room at a time. I have coaches that are absolutely incredible in the front of the room. Um, It's a one-day program. Uh, It's about eight hours, um, and it's called Game Changer Negotiation Training. And it's, it's, um, it's been fun to watch it make an impact already. We also have an application, a technology application that bolts onto it that uh, is pretty powerful that helps institutionalize the learning that people have um, consumed in that day in their processes inside of the organization as it relates to the way that they close deals and do deals. So that gets pretty powerful because some of the tools and tactics that they learn in the one-day program then get stitched in, into their sales force if it's sales force environment that allows that process to really become a part of um, their their deal flow right. daily. Yeah, it sounds like it's awesome. I mean, I think a lot of what we maybe have talked today in terms of you know authenticity, curiosity, and connecting is probably a you know a big thing that you go through uh, in a lot deeper depth into those workshops. But before I ask the last question, I want to thank you and acknowledge you for being for first off prioritizing your energy and bringing that with as close to 100% as you possibly can to the different things that you're trying to balance on your day-to-day lives and for continuing to have that discipline towards taking action towards what you define as success and being okay with failure, being okay to discover those gaps within yourself. Because I think a lot of times we fear those gaps that are within ourselves. So it takes courage to be able to identify them and then take action on working on them. Um, so I want to thank you and acknowledge you for that. And then you have your website. Where can people find more about you on YouTube and the workshops and all that good stuff? Yeah, it's mollyfletcher.com. And, uh, you know, if they just Google Molly Fletcher, it'll come up. Um, and you'll see mollyfletcher.com is our, our company website for, and then Game Changer 360 um, is the uh, Game Changer Negotiation Training website. Yeah. And then our podcast is, is, is Game Changers with Molly Fletcher. That's wherever you know, you, you, uh, go to, to listen to your podcast. Yeah. Um, you're sweet. Well, the last question uh, I always ask everybody is obviously the podcast is called best you. And for me, the best version of yourself in chasing down that person is always a constant journey. I don't think that we're ever at that best version of ourselves. Hopefully maybe on our last day, our last breath, we can, you know, take our last one thinking that we got close enough to that person. Uh, But I also think that the journey is a little bit different for every single person because we all have the different whys, the different motivations we do certain things and our different talents and and all that good stuff. So what I want to ask for you personally is if you could currently work on or do three things to get closer to the best version of yourself, what are those three things that you could do or three things that you could work on? The three things that I would work on to get closer to being the best version of myself. Mm -hmm. Um, Boy, that's such a good question. Three things that I would work on to get closer to the best version of myself. I would say I would ask the people around me more. What makes you crazy that I do? What what makes you crazy that I do that you wish I didn't do? And tell me that, you know, to my husband, to my kids. What what just what bugs you that I do Um, to my parents, to my brothers, to people that are in my life every day? Uh, to the people that work for me. I ask my team that um, about once a year or more. I say, hey, what what do I do that just makes you crazy? Tell me what it is because I want to stop doing it. And thankfully, we have a relationship in which they they will tell me. They'll say, oh, when you do this, it really makes me crazy. I, I would ask that question often and um, and then really listen and then write those things down and put them in front of me so that I see those things every day. And can make a pivot. And then six months later, ask the same group of people or similar group of people the same question. Write those things down. Because I think we all have blind spots. And there's so many things that we maybe do that 
drive other people crazy, but we don't know it. And if we ask them and make sure they feel safe to answer the question, and we ask people that that have cre- we have created a relationship with where they feel safe to answer that question, and that you're not going to attack them or rebuttal it, that you're just going to listen and take it in, that you're not going to say, well, but you know why I do that, and well, but you know, and well, but that, that you're really just going to take in the question and listen and own it and not make it a conversation it's about taking it in that would that 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 would be my one through three yeah right? i mean if i could do that more i think that would be good and i'm gonna do it today now because you've inspired me to do that there you go well i think that i mean i think that can encompass a lot of different things right those will give you those three things that you can work on to get closer right yeah Awesome. Awesome. Well, well, that's all we got. I appreciate you uh, taking the time uh, to sit down with me today and give all this great knowledge, uh, inspiration, and then strategies that everybody can use moving forward. So I appreciate you. Thank you, Nick. It's a pleasure. Awesome. Thanks, Molly. There you have it. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Now it's time to act. Leave a like and a comment on YouTube. Subscribe to that page. If you're on iTunes, leave it a five-star review. Help the show move up the ranks so more and more people can get access to it. Feel free to take a screenshot of this episode and let me know you're listening on Instagram. Remember, step one is belief. Figure out why you're doing what you're doing. Figure out your purpose. As long as you keep that on the top of your mind and in the front of your head, you'll be able to stay motivated moving forward that we're going to be able to accomplish or get to wherever we want to get to. For me, self-confidence comes through following through with the promises that I make to myself, fulfilling the tasks that I say I'm going to do because I build a reputation with myself that I'm going to continue to get those things done on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. Remember guys, get clear on your purpose. After you get clear on this why, after you get clear on your purpose, write out a game plan. Write out some goals, but not just the goal, write out an action plan, a process plan, because that's the only way that you define success and failure for yourself. If you don't know what success looks like, then how are you gonna be able to attain it? If you don't know what failure looks like, then how are you gonna know when you actually fail and what steps you're gonna have to take in order to ensure that that failure does not happen again? It's so important on setting that intention towards what success looks like because achieving success actually keeps you motivated to keep pushing forward towards your goals and it allows you to trust the process along the way. Remember everyone, if you're looking to take a little bit of action in terms of how to be able to negotiate better, how to be able to connect with people more authentically and find curiosity within yourselves, Molly's content is amazing. Look her up on YouTube. Look her up at mollyfletcher.com. Look up those training workshops, the negotiation training workshops that she's going to be able to hold. This stuff is going to be a game changer for you. You're going to start taking action. You're going to start having that discipline and start executing like you have never before. Thanks so much for listening. Keep taking consistent action every single day. Now it's time to go out and upgrade yourself today to get closer and closer to your best you. You.